ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. A PFO to close or not to close. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and with me today is Dr. Ziad Hajazi. Dr. Hajazi is the director of the Rush Center for Congenital and Structural Heart Disease. He is the chief of the section of pediatric cardiology and a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine. Dr. Hijazi is an interventional cardiologist, and he has been instrumental in developing percutaneous methods to treat and to close atrial septal defects. Dr. Hijazi, welcome to our program today. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you. Today, we're going to discuss both the diagnosis and treatment of both atrial septal defects and patent foramen ovale in children and adults. I thought I'd start first by asking you, what is the prevalence of this disease in the patients that we see? Good question, Matt. First, let's start with the uh, atrial septal defect. Basically, atrial septal defect is a hole or a communication between the upper two receiving chambers of the heart, the left atrium and the right atrium. And when there is a hole there, there is blood going from one chamber to the other, usually from the higher chamber pressure, the left atrium, to the lower chamber pressure, the right atrium. Atrial septal defect is present in approximately 10% of all children who are born with congenital heart disease. So now the question is how many kids are born each year with congenital heart disease? Approximately each 100 baby born each year, one of those babies may have a congenital heart disease. So it's really 1% of all live births have congenital heart disease. And out of those, approximately 10% of them have the ASD. Now, a patent for ovale is also a hole between the left atrium and the right atrium, but it's not really a true hole. It's a flap between the two chambers, a smaller hole, and this PFO is a present in every fetus in utero because it is needed for the blood to go from one direction to the other. When we are born, this flap should close and there should be no communication at all between the left atrium and the right atrium. However, 20% of people have this PFO still open. So in the U.S., with the 300 million persons, we have approximately 20 million Americans have a patent for an ovale. Obviously, not all of us or even not a small fraction will have any problems. So that's the prevalence of PFO as well as ASD in the general population. Now, a PFO can be quite small. Are there times when a PFO can be as large as an ASD and can mimic a secundum ASD, for example? That's a very good question, Dr. Sonatino. I think, you know, rarely a PFO is as large as an ASD because the definition of a PFO is basically a tunnel between what we call septum primum and septum secundum. These are two walls from embryological point of view do exist to close the connection between the left atrium and the right atrium. And usually, Usually, this tunnel can be large, leading to significant amount of blood going from either direction to the other chamber. So the state answer to your question is yes, on rare occasion, this PFO may be as large as, you know, a small ASD. Now, how can we tell if a child has an ASD? Do they have symptoms that make it very evident when they're young, or can it be very silent? A very good question. The ASD, which is the atrial septal defect, there are different types of ASD depending on the location of the hole in the wall between the left atrium and the right atrium. If the hole is a smack in the middle of the wall, we usually call it secundum type ASD or fossa ovalis type ASD. Other rare holes may be present in the 
corners of this wall between the left atrium and the right atrium, like example, a sinus venosus ASD in the upper superior margin, a primum ASD in the inferior margin, but these are rare and usually associated with other cardiac conditions. Now, straight forward, secundum ASD in childhood usually asymptomatic. They do not have any symptoms at all. On rare occasion, you may find an infant with a large hole, a large ASD, is failing to thrive. They're not gaining good weight. They're having recurrent respiratory infections. So, but in general, in the first 10 to 20 years of life, patients with an ASD are totally asymptomatic, and the only thing that you may find on physical exam is an, you know, a heart murmur. But otherwise, they may be totally asymptomatic. If you are just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with Dr. Hijazi, and we are discussing ASDs and patent foramen ovales and how to identify them in patients. What is the best technique that we have to clearly identify that a patient has an ASD? Do we use echocardiography? That's a good question, Dr. Sorrentino. So in this day and age, with the availability of excellent echocardiography, after the physician identifies that the patient has an abnormal heart sound, you know, a heart murmur, and you do an EKG, in ASD, you know, especially if they're large, almost always the EKG is pretty specific and diagnostic, but, you know, nonetheless, we don't rely on it 100% to diagnose the ASD, so we do a transthoracic echo. The transthoracic echo should show you the size of the right atrium and the right ventricle that they are enlarged. And once you do that in adults, the best way to do it is a transesophageal echo, which is an echo done through the esophagus because the image will be much clearer than the echo which is done from outside the chest, which is we call transthoracic. So in this day and age, I think the best method to diagnose an ASD is a transthoracic echo followed by a transesophageal echo. A patent foramen ovale is much more difficult to diagnose with a transthoracic echo, so a TEE or a transesophageal echo is much more diagnostic than the transthoracic echo. Now, how do you decide if an ASD or a PFO for that matter is significant enough that we need to intervene and do something about it? Is it symptoms that makes you decide or are there signs on the echo that says we should do something about this hole? Again, a pretty good question. Let's start with ASD. With ASD, you have to have what we call right-sided volume overload. So either the right atrium or the right ventricle or both are larger than normal. And we have normal values. So you do the transthoracic echo. If the right ventricle is enlarged, then the ASD is significant even if it's a three or four millimeter. If the right side of the heart is totally normal, then the question becomes, you know, what should I do for that ASD? And again, we depend on the dimensions. And if the ASD is more than three to four millimeter in size, then you would say probably we should close that hole effectively. Now, a PFO in this day and age, we still are awaiting approval of devices or, you know, new technology to close them because we do not know when to close them because the most common associated factor with a patent for Monovali is a stroke. So in patients who get a cryptogenic stroke or a stroke of unknown etiology and the only thing they have is a PFO, then the question is, should we close the PFO now to prevent the future strokes or wait for a second stroke? The answer to that, we don't know. Currently, we are running randomized trials to see if patients will fare out better by closing their PFO versus, you know, the patients will continue taking blood thinners like Coumadin or aspirin and the Plavix. So the PFO issue is still up in the air, and there are trials for stroke patients, as well as they probably have heard that for Sorrentino, there is now association between migraine headaches 
and PFO. There are patients that, you know, get a very bad migraine headaches with aura, and when we study these patients, at least 50% of them, they have PFO. So the question is, should we close their PFO to prevent recurrence of migraine headaches? Again, this question is being answered now through the randomized trials to see if we close the PFO or continue medical management. I guess that's the hardest question that most of us are facing now because the prevalence of PFO seems to be so high. How can we tell that a PFO may be responsible for a paradoxical embolism? I guess the question really is, is how often do you think a paradoxical embolism actually occurs and the PFO is the transit point? I think if the patient is seen by a good stroke neurologist and the stroke neurologist does his or her homework very well, i.e. ruling out any other potential cause for the stroke. And if they ruled out every potential etiology, which include, you know, hypertension, diabetes, uh, clotting mechanism in the patient, if they rule these things out and the only thing remains is the PFO, then at that time what you can say to the patient that most likely your stroke was caused by a paradoxical embolism. But obviously you have to prove that there is blood going from the right side of the heart to the left side, and that is done by either TEE with a transcranial Doppler monitoring or transthoracic echo. So you need to prove that there are bubbles passing from the right atrium to the left atrium, and there are different technologies to verify that. Until you do that, if it's not there, then it is hard to blame the PFO on the stroke or the migraine. So now we're at the point of closing it. Can you briefly describe the percutaneous techniques for closing an ASD or closing a PFO? Let's start with ASD, Dr. Sorrentino, since this is a straightforward question. Since 1974, actually, when Dr. Terry King from Monroe, Louisiana, did the first percutaneous closure using a primitive umbrella at that time, he was successful in all his patients. Then obviously technology has improved significantly from the 70s until now. And nowadays there are two approved devices by the FDA to close an ASD, a device called the Amplatzer device. Dr. Kurt Amplatz from Minneapolis invented that device. And another device called the Helix device from WL Gore and Associates, the company that makes Gore-Tex and stuff like that. So these two devices are approved for a closure of ASD, and the results using both devices have been excellent. And in this day and age, in my practice at least, the first option is to close the ASD percutaneously if the ASD is good ASD for device closure because not every ASD is good for device closure. Example, if the ASD is very large and it does not have enough rims of tissues around it, then device closure is not going to work. So you need to send that patient for open heart surgery. However, from my own experience, at least 90% of patients with secundum ASD are good candidates for percutaneous closure, and we have done trials to compare device closure with open-heart surgery, and we have found that the effectiveness of the closure was similar between both techniques, but the only difference was chance of complication was higher with open-heart surgery, and of course, the length of hospital stay was longer with surgical closure compared to device closure. So nowadays, in my opinion, the first option is device closure if the ASD is eligible for that. Now, PFO, as I mentioned, nowadays, the way that we do PFO closure, either the patient will enroll in the randomized trials, you know, for stroke or migraine, or 
if the patient does not want to enroll or they do not meet any of the inclusion or exclusion criteria of the trials, then their hole can be closed using an ASD device because basically it's a hole between the upper chambers. But of course, doing this is considered what we call off-label use of devices, which you know some insurance companies may or may not approve this. But right now, to close PFO, that's what we are doing. Either you enroll the patient in the trial if they meet the inclusion criteria. If not, then we close them using the ASD devices. So it's the same device as you're using for the ASD. It's just you're using it in the PFO in Absolutely those patients. Absolutely. The same device, same manufacturer, same material. It's just that the FDA approved the device for ASD, but not yet for PFO because we don't have the scientific evidence yet to prove the concept. Well, I want to thank Dr. Ziad Hijazi, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing both atrial septal defects and patent foramen ovale and when to consider closing these connections in our patients. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.